listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Well, good morning. It is a, a privilege and a joy to be here with you, and I bring you greetings from the uh, staff and the elders at Harvest Oakville. I know many of them wish they could be here this morning. Just that's the reality. You have a wonderful uh, town and a wonderful um, area of the world to live in. It's awesome to just get to see things that are higher than 400 feet all around you, and um, and uh, what a great church to get to be a part of this morning. So um, it's my joy, and Brandon, I know we're excited to be here. If you don't have a Bible right now, um, you can go ahead and put your hand up. There's some people who are going to come around with Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible, um, that's yours. You just keep it. Um, Melvin told me that I could just give away Bibles this morning. So I'm glad to do that. And here's why I'm glad to do that. Because I believe that God's word will change your life. It can change your life. It will change your life by the power of the Holy Spirit as you get into God's word. And this is why, too, I don't mind coming somewhere um, a anywhere, especially Kelowna. It's not hard for me to come here at all. Um, But to get to open up God's word and share it with people because um, I know it's not dependent on me and what I'm going to say from God's word. I believe that God's word has authority. And so um, please don't think in any way that I think I have any great word for you at all because I know me and I do not have very many good words at all. In fact, I sometimes feel like I can barely speak English. Uh, But I believe that God's word has power. And so when we open it, uh, we can learn from it. And so if you have your uh, Bible there now in front of you, you can go ahead and open it up to Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. This is where we're going to spend our time um, today. And and it's my prayer as I was preparing to come out here that this message that our time right now would um, hopefully be encouraging, uh, that it would be in some ways convicting, but also practical for each of us. I mean, Hebrews, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And in Romans 8, 8, it says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if we're going to live lives for Christ, convicted and determined, that bring glory to him, we need to have faith. We need to have strong faith. We need to be able to stand firm, rooted in the truth of what we believe in faith in God. Now, if you're anything like me, that's not easy to do all of the time. And I believe in a room with this many people and knowing this church a little bit and your pastor and how things have been going and how you're growing, that many of you are fired up for the Lord, that you're loving God and wanting to bring glory to him with your life. You have a view of God that he is high and lifted up. You have seen him do different things in your life and and you're growing love for him. And some of you, maybe you're here, it's your first time, you do not know much about God. Um, Listen, whether you've been here lots of times and you know lots about Jesus or this is your first time, in all of eternity, the one thing that matters most is your relationship with Jesus. Nothing else in all of eternity matters except for that one thing. And as we are going to see in his word this morning, in God's word this morning, that that relationship, that our relationship with Jesus, it takes and it demands faith. The problem is that often we don't live full out with that kind of faith. This is why we need God's help. If we're going to honor him with all that we do and say in life, we need his help because on our own, in our sinful flesh, we do all sorts of things that God is not pleased with. That's just the reality. Even if you are saved in Christ and you have once and for all victory over sin and death someday, that will be your reality. You're still in the flesh right now and this is what we're going to talk about. And so every day there are still challenges and struggles that we face that are temptation for us to sin. And so we need God's help to grow strong. And so it's my prayer this morning that this morning will help build you up strong in faith, that you can stand firm in faith in God. Now, some of you in the room right now, you're here and um, you're feeling like, 
strong. And I don't mean physically. Some of you are like, I feel kind of weak this morning. I'm very tired. This daylight savings time is killing me. Listen, I came back from Romania, tried to get over jet lag, and then had to deal with daylight savings time. So don't talk to me about being tired, okay? Um, But spiritually speaking, feeling strong. Now, this is not something that you can muster up in and of yourself. This is something that God grows in you as you understand more who he is and you grow a dependence on him. But the reality is for many people in this room and many Christians, we're not spiritually strong in faith, but we're kind of like these weak little kittens, just not able to stand up to the temptations and the challenges of the world around us. And it's my prayer that God's word this morning will be a strengthening for you. If I'm honest with you, my uh, faith is often like a yo-yo. And sometimes it's up and sometimes it's down. Sometimes there are days where I'm filled with faith and trusting God that his word is best, that living for him is what matters most and that bringing glory and honor to him with my life is what I need to do and I live that way. And there's other days where I don't fully believe that all the time and I begin to slip into living for myself and making decisions that are more about me than they are about God and his glory. And that has to do with what I believe about God. Am I believing what his word says and acting upon it? Or am I acting in and of my own self and my own flesh? Greater conviction and obedience and understanding of God is what's going to grow our faith. And so this morning, we're going to kind of look at this, the why faith, the how to faith, and then the what that our faith should look like from Galatians 2, um, verse 20. So um, if you're there, let me just read it really quickly to you and then we'll pray and we'll talk more about it, okay? It says this, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me pray. God, thank you for uh, gathering us here right now. Thank you for your word that you have given us. Thank you for um, your care and your compassion for us. Thank you that we have um, a church, a place where we can gather and we can give you glory. And we know, uh, Lord, that this is a blessing. There are people around this world who do not get to worship freely as we do this morning. There are people around this country who do not have churches where your word will be open and taught this morning. And so I pray, Lord, that this morning we would be grateful as we sit here. And, and even as I open your word, I pray that I would be grateful, Lord. We would be grateful for your spirit who is here and present among us and teaching us. And would you move by your spirit, God? Would you show your glory in this place? And would you be exalted? I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our faith that we may live lives of glory and honor to you, Lord. Not so that we can feel good about ourselves or pat ourselves on the back, but because you deserve that glory and honor and worship with our lives, Lord. So please, I pray, would you move this morning, move by your spirit in Jesus' name, amen. Now, Galatians 2.20 is a verse for people who have been in Christ for a long time that's probably very familiar to you, and, and maybe you've heard this verse lots of times. Maybe you even have it memorized. In fact, the first a couple of times that I was kind of going over this, I, I kept failing to look back at my Bible because I had the verse memorized, which is a good thing. It's not a bad thing, but we need to be looking at God's Word. And so this is a fantastic verse with lots of theology in it, and we're going to pull out a few different points from it. But I want to give you a little context. So Paul is writing this letter to the Galatian people, and he's writing, and the first kind of half of the letter, he's been kind of... um, setting himself up, helping them to see his kind of spiritual authority to speak into their lives. And and then he's going to transition into talking about the finished work of Jesus 
and the gospel. And this is arguably the, the hinge pin verse, the kind of like where he now begins to transition from talking about himself to the finished work of God. And we're going to see some cool things here. So look at the verse again. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. Now, this is where it gets really important for us, and this is where we should be encouraged, because you cannot live for God on your own. You need faith in the Son of God. It's not something that you and I can accomplish on our own. We need a growing dependence on God. And so, so what is Paul doing here? Look at the beginning of the verse. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. This means that there's, there's a, a death, there's a killing of something that's been going on. Now, it's easy for us to think that, you know, if with my best efforts and my good decision making and my phenomenal church attendance and my abstaining from certain behaviors that God's going to be really pleased with me. Listen, the thing that God is looking for is your faith in his son, Jesus. That is what matters most in all of eternity is your relationship with Jesus. And so Paul then begins to describe what does that relationship look like? So he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I want you to write this down. This is point number one, if you take notes. And it is this, we need to die to self. If we're going to stand in faith, if we're going to live this life in the flesh, in faith, we need to die to self. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his only son to be crucified. Jesus came to this earth for the point of taking the wrath of God, the punishment for sin that you and I justly deserve. Because the Bible says that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and there's none that's righteous, not one. We all are separated from God because of our sin. But he sends his son Jesus who comes to this earth, who dies on a cross. And the way that he died was he was crucified. And you're going to celebrate the great um, death and resurrection of Jesus in, in about a month's time at Easter. We celebrate that every year. It's so great to do that. This is what this is talking about, the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, when Paul is saying this here, he is not just talking about the physical death of, of Jesus, but he's also talking about the spiritual killing and victory over sin that happened there. Now, because the people are reading this in Galatia, they're getting this letter. I don't, I don't know whether like they got it in the mailbox and the little flag was up. And so they, you know, read it and then, oh, let's read it to the whole church. But they're, they're reading this letter and they're not reading it thinking that Paul was actually nailed to a cross. Now, if you just read it quickly, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. You're like, was he one of the guys on the hill with Jesus? No, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a spiritual killing, a spiritual death that's happening here. A spiritual victory over sin. So, back to John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He was crucified on the cross that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So, Jesus endures physical pain and has victory over sin and death spiritually at the cross so that you and I, through him, we can have life. Now, Paul here, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. This is a, a sort of putting to death of the sinful flesh and the desires that are inside us because he was still on earth and he was still living. So it wasn't a physical thing. It was a spiritual thing. And a dying to self, dying to the flesh, dying to the desires that we have inside ourselves. This is not easy. This takes faith in God. For us to be changing, to be growing, to becoming more like Jesus, which is what he wants for us to do. Paul knew that spiritually he had victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ. That was accomplished at the cross, but he's still on earth struggling in the flesh. So he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So he's alive on earth, 
but he's living in Christ, and the life he now lives in the flesh, he lives by faith. So there's this back and forth talking of like spiritual life and physical life. I don't want us to get too confused with that, but it's important that we understand there's a distinction. Paul wasn't crucified, but he is doing some crucifying, crucifying of the flesh. Now, I read this word. I have a word that goes with each of these points. You can write them down if you want. This first word, I promise I didn't make it up. I read it in a book, and when I read it and then I began to understand what it means more, I just start to love this word, okay? And it's this word, cruciformity. Cruciformity. And this is the theological thing that Paul is talking about in this verse. This word means this. It is the conformity or changing of the flesh from selfishness to self-giving action of God. This is us becoming more like Jesus. It's the daily killing of the flesh, the crucifying of the sinful desires that we have in our life that God is not pleased with, that we can become more like Jesus. So there's crucifying and conforming. You see how the two words come together? I promise I didn't make it up. It was in a book, okay? And it was in a book written by a guy named Kent Hughes. This is what he said. This quote's going to come up on the screen. We cannot be firmly rooted in the gospel and not experience a kind of sacrifice and suffering that we might very well called death. If there's no death in our life, there's probably no gospel either. There has to be a killing of sin. There has to be a, a killing of the sinful desires and the practices that we have. Why? Because Jesus was opposed to those things and he came to have victory over those things. We have to be killing sin. Now, you're like, well, I can't kill sin. I know. We're going to get there, okay? Listen, Ken Hughes went on to say, without faith, it's not, it, it is not only impossible to please God, it is impossible to live a life of cruciform, gospel-rooted uh, life centered on Jesus Christ. So, you can't say it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and continue to willfully go on sinning thinking that everything's okay. That just shouldn't be something that you're okay with. Now, maybe you're like, well, I kind of am doing that. You know, I, I believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin. I put my hand up. I check the box. I am a Christian. I follow Jesus, but I'm still sinning. Okay, if you're consciously, willfully sinning, that's a problem. Because God has called us to be getting rid of sin in our life. Am I perfect at this? No, not at all. But this is something that God has been using this text, especially in my life, to remind me that I need to be killing sin. I need to be putting sin to death. Now, this isn't something that I can do. Neither can Paul. Look back at the verse. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He knows that the only way that he has victory over any sin in his life is through Jesus Christ. Spiritually, once and for all, it happens through through Jesus, but then daily living in the gospel, daily coming back to the finished work of Jesus and what God has done for him, he has to be doing. He has to be coming back to Jesus. Andrew Murray said, God is working in us, the new man, while we are to be putting off the old man. I love that. The new man of, of, of life in Christ God is building up inside of us while on the outside we are battling the flesh. So there's this, God is doing this work in us and we need to be willfully coming under faith and trusting him and saying, okay, I'm, I'm going with you on the anti-sin plan and I'm going to do everything I can in my strength knowing we can't have victory on our own, knowing it's only through Jesus, to get rid of sin in our life. So there's this old man being gone, new man coming in Jesus Christ. I want you to get a bit of a mental picture for this. I want you to visualize standing on a street corner and there are, are thugs and bullies all around you. And this is the reality for every person on earth that this is what's going on around us. And now each one of those thugs and bullies around you, those people that are, are surrounding you right now, as you kind of envision this, they are temptations of sin, 
They are desires of your flesh that you know God's not pleased with. And throughout our lives, we are drawn into these things. We are pulled in different directions. And sadly, so much of this world is being yanked apart and finding no hope in all of these vain pursuits. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you know that these things result in sin and death and separation from God and you've put your trust and faith in Jesus, you have victory over each of them. One day, you will stand victorious, not through your own might, but through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, and they're all knocked out, dead, laying around you, killing the flesh. That's what needs to happen. The problem is you're still here on earth. And this is what Paul's talking about, the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. This means that we have to be actively and intentionally fighting these bullies around us. Sadly, many Christians are kind of standing there knowing that they have complete and finished work of Jesus Christ, victory over their sin, and they're just taking punches from all the temptation of sin all around them. And Christians often, and myself included, we begin to get spiritually lazy and apathetic and weak in the fight against sin in our lives because we're trusting in the finished work of Jesus, which is good, but God has called us to not be okay with sin here and now either. And we need to be killing that sin. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's too much getting beat up going on in the church. In each of our lives, and you can probably think right now of specific areas in temptation where you're just taking punches in the face, spiritually speaking, hopefully not physically speaking, hopefully no one was punched in the face today, but spiritual attack that is on your life that you're just getting beat down with. And it's time for followers of Jesus to, by faith in Jesus Christ, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, by faith in Jesus to stand up and start throwing punches back at sin. I know this is going to be kind of graphic, but in some ways, we need to like stomp on sin and kick it in the head. And that's kind of like, kind of like what kind of pastor comes and talks about stomping on something and kicking it in the head? Listen, sin is out to destroy each of us. Sin is a big deal. Sin does not care about you at all. Your sinful desires and the temptations that we all have of our flesh, as much as they may feel good in the moment, they result in eternity apart from God if unchecked. John Owen said this, we need to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. There must be a crucifying. There must be a killing. There must be cruciformity happening, a dying to self of our flesh, getting rid of it. Now, Some of you are sitting there right now, and I don't need to put up a list, and I'm not going to put up a list of all of the different things in your life that you may be tempted right now to give into. You know the sin that you are so quickly drawn into. And I just want to encourage you this morning that that you need to be killing that. And you can't have victory on your own. It's only through the finished work of Jesus. And the daily victory, because this is, look in the middle of the verse again. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. The daily victory still happens through the work of Jesus Christ. And so you need to turn to God and ask for help to kill sin. So what does this look like? Now, we're gonna, I'm going to put two things up on the screen, but the, one of them's not going to come up. There's a third one that's not going to come up because that just has to be happening. It's like we, I'm not even, we're not even writing this down. Well, you should write it down. I would commend you to write it down. But I'm not even going to put it on the screen because as a follower of Jesus, you just need to know that repentance, that's the first thing. Repentance has to be happening. If you are identifying sin in your life, there, it has to be followed with repentance. It's not enough to be like, oh, I struggle with 
dishonesty. I struggle with lust. I struggle with coveting. I struggle with jealousy. I struggle with and naming it and not doing anything about it. That is not enough. Now, you cannot have victory. You cannot turn and completely repent on your own, in your own strength. You cannot do it. But it's not enough just to identify it and just be like, well, that's my problem. There, there has to be something that follows from that. So repentance is number one. But then you need what I like to call a kill sin plan. And the kill sin plan has two steps to it. The first one is prayer. We do not pray enough that God would help us have victory over specific daily sins. God, please help me have victory over whatever it is. That has to be happening. It is not enough just to say, God, I want to repent of this sin and then not turn from it. Because the word repent literally means to turn and go in the other direction. You can't just say, okay, I recognize what this sin is. That's enough. There has to be a repenting. There has to be a turning. But if you're ever going to get away from that sin and flee to the things that God blesses and that God is pleased with, you're going to need his help. And you've got to pray. You've got to ask. If you want God to do something that only he can do, you have to ask him for it. Too many of us, though, We're not concerned about repenting and we're lazy and apathetic to our defense of sin. And so we're not asking God to come to our help. Picture yourself on the street corner again. God wants to swoop in and just like old school Batman, pow, bang, boom, pop, just be knocking out the sin in your life. He wants to do that in your life. The problem is that too many of us are kind of content with being beat up with our sin because there's moments of it that we really just enjoy. And that's a problem. Because all of those things, they end in death. And so we need to pray that God would help us. And then the second thing is this. We need God's word in our life. You need God's word in your life. Psalm 119 says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I believe that verse is about fighting sin. You probably do too. The problem is that's not how we often put God's word into our minds. We put God's word into our minds and into our hearts and into our lives kind of like a kid who really just wants to get all the boxes checked at Awana so they can get a sticker at the end of the night. And so there's, we're, you know, we're trying to memorize all these verses so like I can say all of these verses. But has God's word gotten into you in a way that it's changed you? Robbie Gallaty said this, get into God's word until God's word gets into you. Till his word is into you in such a way that it's actually changing you. And I want to commend to you today, find yourself um, a kill sin verse. A verse that you're going to lean on and fight sin with. And, And you can totally steal mine. I'm going to give you mine. This is my verse. When I'm driving and some blessed person of the Lord cuts me off, or my, one of my kids is, I've gotten home from work and I'm kind of tired and exhausted and they are just driving me up the wall. Or maybe in my moment of, of, of selfishness, I'm not being patient and compassionate with my wife. Or there are people that are just annoying me and I just want to get upset. I go to this verse. And I have to work at this. I have put this verse in my head so much that it now will come to mind. And so before that thought comes into my mind, I begin to say, okay, listen, you've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives you. And the life you now live in the flesh, which is right now, and in your flesh right now, you want to do something that's not pleasing to God. You have to live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. So don't do that thing that you want to do. Trust God and honor him with what you're about to say, do, act, drive, signal, whatever it is that you're doing. But that doesn't happen if you're kind of just trying to muster up the strength in and of yourself to have victory. That's not going to work. 
It has to be dependent on God. And so you have to go to him in prayer and call out to him and get his word in you that it will change you. Now, that doesn't happen easily. You have to work at it. Neither does getting strong. If you're going to get lots of muscles, you've got to go to the gym. You've got to work at that. If you're going to get the muscles, spiritually speaking, you know, bulk up in faith, like we talked about at the beginning, to have victory over the bullies on the street corner, that's going to take some work. And this isn't going to come overnight. But are you going to put the work in? Because God wants you to live a life that's bringing glory and honor to him. And you cannot have victory over sin on your own. You cannot have victory daily over sin on your own. You need the help that only God can give. Now, this first point of this message I totally understand right now is the heaviest point of the message, okay? So what we're going to go into next, I really pray, will be hopefully helpful and encouraging, but also still convicting to you. Because Paul, when he starts it off, he doesn't start off with some gentle language. When he says, I've been crucified, crucifixion was this horribly painful, descriptive, everyone would have known exactly what he was talking about thing. And that's the kind of hatred for sin that we need to have. I'm so glad that crucifixion isn't something that's practiced here in Canada. But in some ways, I think that if we had real glimpses of it, and this is why things like the Jesus story and um, the crucifixion, the passion of Christ, these movies, they, they kind of help us to understand God's hatred of sin and the seriousness of it. And we kind of get a little bit of a visual because these people got that. And they understood how much Paul hated this sin and what their life then needed to be kind of changing and how the cruciformity needed to be happening in their life. So read with me back to Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now this next part is where I want to pull this next point. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Your life in the flesh, here and now on earth, with victory, if your faith is in Jesus, with victory over sin through him, you, though, live in the flesh. And Paul says, the life I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God. This is point number two. I need to live what I believe. I need to live what I believe. And this takes, and here's the, the word that goes with this point, conviction. This takes conviction. You are convinced in a way that has led to behavior change because what is in your, he uh, your heart is in your head and it's coming out in your life that you understand that you're a sinner saved by grace of Jesus Christ. And that you understand that he has done this work on the cross for you. He has been resurrected from the dead that you can have hope of new life with him. And so you are willing to put yourself out there and say, okay, I want this crucifixion. I want this killing of sin in my life because I know that God's not pleased with it. I want that to be happening in my life. This death to self, this crucifying to be going on in, in my life. If we are saved in Christ, we should have a growing a confidence of the betterness of obedience to Christ then. This life that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God because we believe that he loved us so much that he died on the cross that we can have forgiveness of our sin. So we believe that if he loves me that much, have you ever think about why he would send his son to die on a cross for you? I always tell people all the time, you do not send your son. I have two sons and a daughter. I can't imagine sending one of them to die for somebody. If you have kids or grandkids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You do not do that for people that you kind of like. You do not do that for people that you're tolerating or that you're putting up with. But often, that's how, you know, if I'm looking at myself, I'm like, God must be like barely tolerating me. How annoying am I with my continued struggle and wandering back into sin? God's like, no, I love you. I love you. And I'm sending my son to die for you. 
This is the love that Christ has for us. And as we understand that, it should cause our faith and our trust and our belief and our hope in him to grow and our faith to be increasing, that we will live what we believe genuinely and not back down from it. But it'll be authentically coming from our lives, living what we believe. We don't like hypocrites. Nobody really likes a hypocrite. Um, I live in the Toronto area, so I'm surrounded by many. They wear blue jerseys with white leaves on the front of them often. So many. I'm a Leaf fan. I was born and raised that way, so don't hate me for that. But um, so many Leaf fans are horribly hypocritical. In August, it's just like, we're going to win the cup this year. Plan the parade route, man. Like, they're just so excited. And then it's December, and it's like, I hate them. They're the worst. And there's just no commitment to it. And I've just kind of like reserved myself to like, hopefully before I die, they will win the cup. That's, that's just kind of my hope that someday that will happen. Listen, often spiritually, we are hypocritical with our faith. We say that we love God. We say that we believe in Jesus. We say that we want to have victory over sin, but then that's not reflected with our lives. We're not actually living out what we believe. When temptation comes, we then begin to, you know, rely on our own strength. Well, God has done the finished work of Jesus with Jesus. And so, you know, I'm here on earth now and, and, and I'm not, we're not going to have, I'm not going to have, vic- I'm not going to have fall into this sin. I'm going to have victory. And we begin to trust ourselves. And we do this often. And we begin to think that, you know, God has done this big work. And we don't have this consciously. I think if we actually, you know, every time before we sin, began to think, you know, okay, well, Jesus did the finished work for me. I can, I can figure this one out on my own. We would be like, oh, no, I'm done. I need God's help right now. But we don't even have that conscious conversation with ourselves. We just begin to give in to the lies around us that, you know what, you, you're, you're being good enough lately that you'll be able to get through this temptation. That's not true. And then what happens is we don't live out genuinely what we believe. So Paul says that the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. How are you not living out what you believe? You say that you believe in the Son of God as your Lord and Savior. Is that reflected in your life? in a life of obedience and glory and honor and worship to him and him alone, not in you. And I'll be honest with you, that's tempting. Often struggling and failing and giving into life being more about me than it is about God. Is that happening in your life? What are you struggling with? And I'll be honest with you, and this is going to sound really weird, but I love hearing about people struggling with sin. Now you're like, yeah, that does sound weird. Here's why I love hearing about people struggling with sin. Because they, they know it's a problem. And they're conscious to struggle with it. It's way scarier to hear about someone who is, they're not struggling with any sin. And there's no challenges and no difficulties. And there's not a lot of evident things going on in their life. I remember being in a small group um, a couple years ago. And there was this older guy in our, our small group. And um, we were kind of going around in men's accountability time and you know, having this time of confessing sin. And, and uh, this, this man was a lot older than me. He probably could have been my grandpa. And we kind of got to him. And, and I was just like, you know, uh, is there anything, you know, you're, you're struggling with? And he was like, no. And I was like, really? And he said, yeah. I said, so like, there's no sin in your life? And he's like, no, I'm, I'm good. And, and right away, I'm like, you have pride issues, okay? And you're lying right now. There's, there, there's no way you are completely sanctified because you are not currently in the presence of Jesus. Now, 
Does he have less sin that he's struggling with than me? Quite possibly. This guy's like in his uh, mid to late 70s. He was a missionary for years. He was a pastor for years. God has been working and growing and sanctifying him. And for sure, if we charted out our lives, he is way more righteous than I am. But he's not yet perfect. We all have sin and we need to recognize what that sin is so that we can battle it. It's not just enough to recognize that we have sin as a bigger thing. But what are the specific sins that are so dragging us away and pulling us away that we're not fighting? That's why I like to hear about people who are struggling with sin. Are you struggling with sin? And then what is it? Identify it so you know what to the kill sin plan, pray to God and ask him to come along and help you with. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, you know, it would be really great if he would really just kind of tangibly give me something. That's the second part of the, the kill sin plan. It's the word of God, the sword of the spirit. He's given you a weapon to fight sin with. And I don't want to be too graphic about how a sword works. I think you can figure that out. But that's the kind of attack that we need to be taking when it comes towards sin in our lives. Are we doing this? The problem is often not. We're giving in to the love of self, conforming to our desires, to our glory, to our pleasure. Listen, sin starts in our heart and flows to our head and comes out in our lives. And so we have to be conscious of what is in our heart and coming back to putting the gospel at the core. This is what Paul's doing in this verse. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He's going back to the gospel, rooting himself in the gospel, that he can live what he believes. We need constantly to be working on our hearts and guiding our hearts and guarding our hearts and building our faith and strengthening. It's not just enough to be able to articulate the gospel. We have to not only articulate it, but then begin to live it out daily in our lives. Be thinking about the love of Christ for us. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I've said this verse like, I don't know, like 19 times or something now. The reason I keep doing that, this is just like insight into teaching for a second. I'm trying to get you to memorize the verse without actually making you do it. Because I want you to, next time you're tempted to sin, to have this verse come into your head, okay? I'm kind of like subtly, subliminally trying to just put this verse into your head. I just gave it all away now, okay? But do it. Memorize this verse, okay? Here's the last part, our last point, and it ends, the end of the verse is so amazing, and hopefully this will be, um, I refer to it as fuel to your faith fire, that your, your faith fire will just burn hot for the Lord, and you will be charged up, passionately, growing and, and just looking to God. Here's what it is. Here's what the, how the verse ends. The son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let God's love fuel you. That's point number three. Let God's love fuel you. Let the love of God fuel you. Let the love of Christ for you displayed on the cross be what strengthens you and builds and brings confidence to your faith. That's the, that's the word for this point, confidence. The reality of the love of God for you should bring you confidence. This is why we sing songs like Christ is enough. And we talk about the finished work of God on the cross being enough for us because we begin to understand and we need to remind ourselves that what he did is enough for us. Romans 2 verse 4. 
Um, I love this verse, and it, it's, it's kind of wordy, but what it's talking about is the kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. When we begin to see the, the work of Jesus for us, it should cause our love for God to just grow. As we understand that he was kind to us in that while we were yet sinners, he sent his son to die for us. Romans 5 says that while we were enemies of God, before anybody in this room was born, for sure, Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross. Before humanity happened, God had a plan of redemption to bring people to himself. That's the kind of love that God has for you. Let that fuel you up. Let that bring you joy. Let that bring you confidence that walking into sin is, is not a good plan. And because God Almighty, who created and sustains everything, doesn't want you there. He wants you with him. And he's done something about that. The greatest motivation and fuel to our faith to live for God and to stand for him should be gratitude to sovereign, gracious, merciful, loving God for all he's done. No Christian, no sane follower of Jesus should be able to look at the finished work of Jesus on the cross and willfully go back into sin. It shouldn't happen. Because we understand that Jesus had to die on a cross for that. But then when you begin to think about that he died on the cross so that you can have a life, that you can be with him someday, that should change you. And think about who that is. Jesus, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, the one who um, Hebrews says... Um, holds all things together. The psalmist spoke, and this became really real to me this morning as I'm looking at the window of where I'm staying. The psalmist says, he speaks and the mountains melt. That became real when I could actually see real mountains. Okay? This is, this, this is who loves you. Matthew 28, Jesus says of himself, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. That's who loves you. All authority is given to him. That's who loves you and gave himself for you. He who knew no sin took on sin so that in him you could become the righteousness of God. That should fuel you up. That should cause your faith fire to burn just a little hotter. When you understand that God in heaven isn't sitting there angry at you. Is he disappointed? Is he not pleased with sin? Does he hate sin? Yes, but he loves you in spite of all that thing. While we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. We hadn't done anything good to bring any pleasing glory or honor to him, nor can we do that on our own. It's only through the finished work of God and his spirit then in us that we can bring any glory to him with our lives. And he loves you and me. That's awesome. And that has nothing to do with me. That has everything to do with him. And we need to see this more. This is why it's not just okay to know the gospel, but you have to preach the gospel to yourself all the time. Let the love of Christ fuel you. The last couple of words in this verse are the gospel. Who loved me and gave himself for me. We don't understand often and we don't treasure and value and cherish the work of Christ like we should because we fail to understand the massiveness of the problem of our sin. We begin to kind of think, you know, like I failed in seven out of the 10 commandments, you know, so Jesus kind of like he fixes the seven and brings me back to even. That is not how it works. We are complete and utter failures off the charts and Jesus doesn't just bring us back to even to make it all good. But it says that we are adopted as children of God. And so we're, it's not just that we're kind of like even, but we're welcomed into God's family. 
But the problem is that we think that the finished work of God is doing such a small thing because we don't think about the bigness of our sin. When we understand the bigness of our sin and the massive problem that our sin really is and that God has ultimate and complete victory over that, our love for him is just going to grow because we're going to be way more in awe of him. Okay, example of this, David and Goliath, right? So David, he's gone into Saul and Saul is, is like, you can't fight Goliath. He's a giant. He's been killing youth since he was a youth. You're just this uh, ruddy, handsome little boy. Like you're going to get your butt kicked. And David says, I love what he says. He's like, I fought a lion and I fought a bear and they go back and forth. And then finally David says, and it's in 1 Samuel 17, 36. He says, I have fought both lions and bears. And I remember the first time that I noticed that those were plural. That just like blew my mind. It's not like it was a freak thing like one time he beat up a lion or one time he beat up a bear. Lions and bears. I think if I came back from fighting one of those one time and my dad's like, hey, I want you to go watch the sheep. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. I'm not going back out there. I fought a lion once and I won. I am not doing that again. David's like, no, no, no. I fought lions and bears. So this challenge that's in front of him becomes a small thing because he understands the great and powerful work of God that has sustained him many times and in big ways in the past. And so he's like, Goliath, whatever. God's got this. I'm not worried. The problem is you and I are walking through life thinking, you know, overwhelmed at the challenge that's in front of us, not understanding the bigger power and might and victory that God has and has done through his son, Jesus Christ, victory over sin on the cross. We need to look at the cross. We need to look at the finished work of God and be in awe and let the love of God for us fuel us Do you know this love? Do you know the love that God has for you through his son, Jesus? Have you accepted that? Because if you have not, you are still stuck in the circle of bullies being beat down by sin. And one day they will have victory over you and you will be apart from God forever. But listen, God loves you. And he sent his son, Jesus, that you can have victory over those things. And if you have that victory, then the challenge now is to live with faith and trust and dependence in him. And let the love of Christ fuel you. Does the love of, life, love of Christ fuel every moment of your life? And I'll be honest, it, it often doesn't fill every moment of my life, but I need to consciously be thinking of it. Does the love of Jesus change the way you drive? It should. Does the love of Jesus change the way you treat your spouse? It should. Does the love of Jesus change the way you treat your kids or your parents or your classmates? or your boss, or your teacher, or that annoying neighbor who doesn't clean up after their dog? Does the love of Christ actually fuel you to change the way that you live and bring glory to him with your life? Because it should. Knowing the love that God has for us should fuel our lives to live for him. Do you know the love that God has for you? And I don't just mean that Jesus died on the cross for you, but do you understand how big of a thing that that is? If you do, let the love that God has for you fuel you. I want to give you one more verse before we go, and it's just from Romans 5, 2. And I love this verse. It says this, Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's a whole bunch of things going on in this verse. I just want to show you two of them. There's saving and there's a sustaining. 
We rejoice in the grace in which we stand. That's a current thing, that God has done this. If, you're, if you have obtained access by faith in the grace in which we stand, through him at the beginning it says, you have this. You are, are saved and you are sustained. Are you looking to the gospel? Are you looking to Jesus for this? If you are then, like Paul, you need to not be okay with your sinful flesh, with the desires that you have, and you need to be killing sin. You need to be living what you believe, and you need to be letting the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross, fuel you, that you and I can say together with Paul that the love of Christ is fueling us. And the life that we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. If we're going to stand and bring glory to God with our lives, firm, fixed, rooted, planted, not moving, firm in faith, then it's going to happen through our understanding of the gospel and the love that Christ has for us. Let me pray. God, I thank you for uh, this morning, and I thank you for your word, and I pray that uh, this, the truth of this text, this passage of of, of your word, God, that teaches us about the work of Jesus and your hatred of sin and your love for us, God, I pray that it would fuel us up, fuel us to live for you, fuel us to bring glory to you, Lord. But it also, Lord, would help us to see the problems of our sin and hate our sin more. We know that you hate sin. You hate it so much that, that you can't have it in your presence, but you've done something because you love us so much to welcome us to your presence. Even though we have sin, you sent your son Jesus. And so I pray that the truth of the gospel, the truth of your love for us through your son Jesus would be so awesome in our lives that it would fuel our lives and our faith to live for you and to bring glory and honor to you with our lives, Lord. Please, God, only you can do this. Move in our lives by your spirit. Strengthen us. In faith, I pray, in the name of your Son and our Savior, in the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.